Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. Uh, hey, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? You know, I, 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 it's been a great week and I... I just came across something that's really interesting. I, I think that you'll find this interesting too, because you know how in the last uh, month or two, we've been kind of talking about different types of strategies, at least when it comes into investing in general. And I remember you bringing up a couple of weeks back or a month back, I, I can't recall, about uh, a strategy where you're analyzing the stock performance and how if you... Mm -hmm or analyzing the chart in a five-year, 10-year range, you can generally find the upper and lower limits of, of how the stock is, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the strategy, I, I don't, do you know what it's called? I forgot what the strategy's name was. Um, again, if you don't um, recall, that's fine, but. There's like momentum trading and, uh, and technical analysis. I think it's more technical analysis mm -hmm. that we were talking about. So the, the concept of technical analysis is that you pay attention to an index, for instance, over the span of, I think, 10-ish years minimum, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, if you're lucky. And you pretty much draw a line of uh, when the stock was at its peak, right? And when it's at its peak, you'll draw that line from peak to peak and you'll correlate that as being your upper limit and vice versa. You look at when it was its lowest and then you'll correlate that with its lowest limit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when a stock price, and this is just price and analyzing prices in general, when the price actually shoots through the upper limit or craters into the lower limit, there's two, two things that could occur. It can continue on its trajectory and have a huge growth or decline, or B, there's going to be a huge turnaround where it wants to stay within the two limits, happy medium. And so for a lot of investors, at least who are doing more of a technical analysis, what they generally do is they generally sell at the uh, as the stock approaches the upper limit so that you know if there is a turnaround, they don't lose money, or they usually buy at the turnaround of the lower limit. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I actually just read an article uh, in the Barrons uh, earlier today. And the article in the Barrons is titled, let me pull it up right here. Uh, it's titled, Water is the New Gold, What It Means for Investors. And this is written by Andrew Addison. And so uh, what he showed, at least in, in the charts that he portrayed, was the water index in California from 2014 all the way to 2022. Okay, he's listed the uh, the breakout point or the upper limit, as well as where the lower limit was. And we can see somewhat in the last six or seven years that there's been somewhat of a curved trend, more of a hyperbole type of trend where it, it was declining in the first five years. And now it's kind of slowly increasing in the later half of the years. Mm hmm. And within the last six months in general, at least on the water index price in California, what we see is a breakout through the upper limit. And so the breakout through the upper limit first began in mid-2020 during the peak of COVID. And if you recall back in California, 
there's been a lot of droughts and fires and dry uh, weathers lately due to a lot of global warming and a lot of non uh, well-practiced keepings of forests and, you know, forest fires and all of that. And so this attributed to a lot of the increase in water pricing. Now it kind of went down. It, it was peaking, it broke through, and then it kind of had a turnaround about, I want to say, mid-2021, okay? And mm-hmm. then from mid-2021 all the way until now, it has not turned around anymore. It didn't reach back to the upper limit. It's now completely past that. And so what this means right now, <laughs> at least from my understanding of water in general, is that water is becoming more valuable. One, California's in a drought. And, you know, having a supply of fresh water for people in the Southern California it, it is more of a demand now. When supply is low, demand's high. And, you know, uh, another thing is I used to work in a water facility, a reclamation, re- reclamation plant, not working it, but I've done a lot of my research in these plants uh, to understand the uh, process of how it is that a county sustains itself and you would be surprised that a lot of times these reclamation plants they actually gather all the sewage water right and Mm -hmm. they clean it through a different process either through you know multiple reservoirs uh with you know uh, uh, helpful bacteria as well as filtration and uh, potentially advanced oxidizing processes uh, to really sterilize the water and they would essentially recycle these sewage water and either a use it for um, watering uh, city plants or b they'll do it a step further where they use reverse osmosis and sell it to different manufacturers like pepsi coca-cola as a uh, reclaimed water that has been extremely purified so that it's drinkable potable water and so majority of the water that comes in certain counties, especially drought-ridden counties, all the water that we have here is recycled water. Not spring water, not fresh rainwater, it's recycled water. And the first time you hear about it, you're kind of like disgusted because you're like, ew, sewage water. But it's a beautiful process. It's a phenomenal process where the water that comes out of the tap is so pure that you actually have to add minerals back in because it's so distilled and so clean. And this is how we sustain a drought area. And so just being able to see, and I've been telling my students this this whole time, it's like, you know, water might be a very important resource in the future because out of all the fresh water on planet Earth, only 2% of the water or out of all the water on planet Earth, only 2% of the water is fresh water. Everything else is contaminated or salt water. And, you know, we have to develop new technology for desalination and all that, which is extremely expensive. And so I see water being very interesting uh, in the far future. Short term, right now, the technology I don't think is there. But far, far term, you know, 30, 40 years from now, I think it might be something that's really interesting to look at especially as desalination plant potentially is coming uh, closer to um, profitable. Right now, they're unprofitable. That's why no one's building them yet. 
But if they become profitable, you know, we're going to have a nice supply of fresh drinking water. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Um, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the key factor in desalination is energy. Yes. Um, so <laughs> well, energy and how to properly get more water out than energy we put in. Mm -hmm. Because again, it, it's it's a draining system right now because we're investing so much more energy into the system, and it's more so expensive. Like the efficiency than, of it. Yeah, exactly. Efficiency is just crap. Mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. yeah i think um because i know there is a desalination plant in um in southern california in san diego county oh really um, mm -hmm. yeah now i but it's it's you know i think the energy issue is key i mean mm -hmm. it's very expensive if we had more nuclear energy um that could make it more viable yeah well, unfortunately, with nuclear energy, you know, education, I think, is part of the way to go if we want to approve nuclear energy. Um, again, what we think about with nuclear energy is what Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, and all the bad things that has happened. And that's usually what's in everyone's mind, mm -hmm. generally. Okay, I'm being very general here. So... Yeah, uh, and it's only when you actually are well educated in the subject or well informed, not even educated, just informed of the advancements that we've made with nuclear energy. I think that will help with the image of nuclear. Now, right now, it, it looks like we are becoming more informed because I see a lot more European politician and even uh, politicians in the White House or in the Senate that are opening to the idea to nuclear energy. And so nuclear mm -hmm. energy is becoming more and more of a hot topic just because we're so constrained with energy production right now. I don't mm -hmm. know. What do you think? What um, is the stigma for nuclear energy for you? The, I think it goes back a long ways. I think, um, I think the anti-nuclear energy movement was deeply related to the green movement and mm -hmm. environmentalism okay i think that started to shift in the last 15 years or so mm. um there's a guy named Stuart brand who was kind mm. of well known as you know being uh i don't know if he was known as an environmentalist but he's you know cool among the environmentalist crowd but <laughs> okay. he wrote a book i think it was 2005 or 2007 or something he wrote a book saying hey guys we need nuclear mm -hmm. if you want to actually positively impact the environment we're not going to do it without some nuclear reactors and making the case that it's not the, going to be the cause of environmental disaster but actually a solution you know mm -hmm. going back to water um it is like you know i brought up desalination and energy but there's also i think it's there's big policy questions mm. and there, you know, the vast majority of water in California is used by agriculture yes. and there are some uh, perverse incentives there. Like for example, a lot of farmers have a use it or lose it agreement mm. with their water rights, where if you have a certain amount of water rights, you have to use it. Otherwise you forfeit those water rights. Wow. 
Yeah. And so that can uh, promote the wasting of water instead of, you know, Hmm. you can allowing them to forego their water rights and then pick them up next year would probably help a lot, you know, Hmm. because I think in particular, um, there's a lot of issues around the Colorado River. Mm -hmm. Um, There's multiple states that are getting water from the Colorado River and uh, there's not enough to go around anymore. So like it used to drain into uh, the Gulf in Baja, Mexico, Baja, California. Um, but I think it doesn't even make it there. It, the, the river runs dry before it gets to the Gulf. Hmm. So there is a lot of claims on that Colorado River water. Yeah. It's a very sticky resource because everyone needs water. Just like everyone needs shelter, everyone needs food. And so... You know, draining the Colorado River, at least uh, Colorado River being pulled, you know, five separate ways is it's I, I can see why it's such a big issue. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that the farmers has a use it or lose it type of policy. Yeah. You know, and I think this is what's going to promote more of advancement in agricultural practices. I mean, we're seeing it with hydroponics right now where water is being recycled through the whole system mm-hmm. and it's much less waste because it's not open to the environment. It's actually like an indoor system. Some some are outdoor, but it's much better than running a sprinkler shooting it through the air while the sun's hitting it, right? So at least in a hydroponic system, the water is enclosed in a pipe system. And the only way that it can evaporate is through, you know, the sun hitting the plant itself and some of it going through uh, the piping. So, yeah, and not seeping into groundwater as well. Exactly. So I think that hydroponics, honestly, is is a good step. Uh, We're seeing microgreens in terms of agricultural production, which is more nutrient dense. And with microgreens, you can put them in a hydroponic system. And so there's a lot of advancements in agriculture right now. Um, But if we're able to really, because if I recall, I I can't recall, if I recall, (laughs) I'm using the word recall a lot. Um, I think that the efficiency of water just in the ground, like just regular farming agriculture is like 20% or something. It's super, super low because a lot of it is lost as groundwater or it's in soil that there's no root system there or it's lost as heat uh, evaporation. And so only a certain percentage of it is actually being utilized by the plants and that's a big waste in water. So having a hydroponic system or a pipe system increases that efficiency by quite a margin. At least that's my opinion. I don't know the numbers right off the top of my head, but that's the understanding that I had when I was reading into it. Do you have a sense of how much hydroponics are actually going to be deployed within the next few years? Not yet. No. Mm-hmm. All I know is that I've tried a couple products that use the hydroponics, and I can tell you right now, the the fruits that come out of hydroponics and the vegetables are way tastier. Hmm. Way t- They're a bit more expensive because, again, it's a new technology, so you are paying somewhat of a premium, but if we can get this to more of an actual common practice in a hydroponic system, you can inject so much more nutrients and it doesn't run out into the ecosystem because you can build a filtration system inside the hydroponics itself in case of extreme nitrogen content, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of fertilizer can be liquefied 
in a water system and the plants can utilize that. And it's, wow. it's a really efficient way. You're not seeping excess nitrogen into uh, groundwater or into runoffs where now we have a situation where algae is blooming and killing the ecosystem. Uh, because high nitrogen means more algae grow, more algae growing in a pond, for instance, is going to deprive the pond of oxygen. And any of the life forms that's inside that pond that requires you know, oxygen in the water is now dead. And so that's what happens when we're using too much fertilizer. And that's what we see off the coast of Australia right now. They're overusing fertilizer where it's running out into the ocean and it's causing a huge ecosystem imbalance at the Great Barrier Reefs is toxifying the barrier reefs where it's bleaching them. So mm -hmm. it, it's it's a huge issue right now. But I think hydroponics is a good start. Is it the most efficient? Probably not, as we're discovering more technology, but it is a good promise. And I love the product. It's sweet. Strawberries are extremely sweet, like to the point where it's an actual, it feels like it's from a farmer's market strawberry, you know, like you actually grow it at home or you, you're going to your local farmers to purchase it. it. It's, it's so much tastier than commercial produce, but anyways, uh, we're going to call it here. So thanks everyone. Uh, till next time. See you guys in the next episode. All right, Sean, take care. You too.